Thanks, bud. Cool. Good morning, church. How good was worship this morning, hey? I love it. I um, especially love the drummer. Thanks, mate, for filling in for me. That was great. I was going to do both this morning, but I thought that's probably not a great idea. Um, but it was awesome. He drums a lot better than me, so I enjoyed it. Um, so this morning, I've got, I'm in teaching mode. I've got the table and the chair up here. I don't usually do well sitting down, so I might be a bit restless. But, um, but yeah, so I'm filling in for Adrian this morning. Adrian um, was originally kind of going to preach this message, but when he got this question on um, violence and on Matthew eleven twelve, he kind of just really didn't know how to answer it. So, um, <laughs> so he called up the best person he could think of, and uh, and he wasn't available, so he asked me instead. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to be speaking this morning um, on a topic called violent faith. Um, and this problematic series has been pretty cool. Yeah, it's been interesting, and, and it's been good. People have a lot of suggestion and lots of ideas um, for this series. I think it's pretty exciting. I also wanted to clarify something from two weeks ago in my message, um, that I'm not still afraid of zombies. Um, a lot of people were very nice and came up to me and were like, you know, zombies aren't real. And I was like, oh yeah, thank you, appreciate that. I didn't realise that. But, um, and I got Steed sending me video games about zombies chasing you, and I got, I got lots of helpful advice, so thank you for that. Um, but uh, you can still tease me about it, I don't mind, I appreciate it. But today we're going to be talking a bit about violence, which is interesting. And, and I'm a guy who, uh, who grew up with a brother and I grew up with a dad. And uh, being a boy, um, we tend to like to wrestle and we like to fight and we like to um, punch each other and get into all sorts of violence. Um, I remember wrestling with my dad was one of my favorite memories when he would come home from work, me and my brother and often my sister too would jump on him and we'd call it rough and tumble time and we'd wrestle with him and tackle him to the ground. I'm pretty sure he loved it too. But uh, I remember no matter how many times we felt like we kind of gotten the best of him, like we've slain the giant, we've bested him, he uh, would always turn it over and pummel us and we'd end up losing every time. And so he was like this superhero to us. He's no way you can beat dad. And uh, occasionally you'd accidentally crack him one in the nose and he'd be like, oh, and you'd be like, I've actually weakened him. Like, it's pretty exciting. But uh, boys love testing their strength. I remember wrestling with my brother quite often and uh, jumping on top of him and getting him to the ground and pinning him down and making him say like something like, you're the strongest, tell me I'm the strongest or something. And he's like, no, I'm not going to say that. And just keep punching him or tickling him or make him whistle. That was always hard because you can't whistle when you, the lungs out of your, uh, the air's out of your lungs or I'm tickling him or something. He's like <laughs> trying to whistle. But, uh, and I remember doing one for one with my dad. I don't know if any of you guys have done that, but it's one punch for one punch. And my dad would always let me start. And uh, this is when I was getting about 15, 16 and really wanting to hurt my dad because I was, I was getting stronger. And um, kind of like Christian measuring his biceps with his father, which is, um, you can ask him about that later. It's a bit embarrassing. Um, and I remember doing one for one with my dad and he would always let me start. He was very gracious. So I'd give it my best whack into his arm and then he'd be like, all right, it's my turn. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And he'd boom, smack in the arm and I'd be like, oh, I thought I'd broken my arm or something. And then in this dilemma, there's always this dilemma because you're like, I can go again and I can hit him again because now I'm angry and I want to hit him, but then he's going to hit me back again. So it's like this wrestle in your mind. You're like, I don't know what I should do. So often I'd try and punch him and run and that didn't usually work too well either. But I remember lots of violence growing up as a boy and and I think it's actually good for boys to wrestle and to test their strength on each other. I think that's a good, healthy thing. But uh, this morning, I'm not really talking about physical violence as much as I'm hopefully you've already guessed. Um... We're looking at this verse that kind of comes out of Matthew eleven twelve, and a few people had, had sent that through as we're reading through the Gospels, this verse that Jesus says, 
um, in Matthew 11, verse 12. So if we want to um, pop that up on the screen, it says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. This also says in the New, Tra- in the New Living Translation, is another verse that kind of says, on the time of John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. So this kind of verse has kind of different meanings in some sense. Like there's been a lot of debate about what it actually means and what the correct translation is. Um, and if you want to spend hours on the internet, you can do that and look at all the different um, theories people have. But it's kind of interesting. It's either kind of talking about, you know, is the kingdom of heaven been subjected to violence as in under persecution or people are attacking the kingdom of heaven? Or is it talking about the kingdom of heaven kind of forcefully and, and violently advances? And so there's kind of these two thoughts on it. And I actually kind of don't think either of them are wrong. I think in some sense, both of those thoughts are kind of backed up by Scripture in other parts of the Bible, that we know that the kingdom of God is advancing forcefully. We, we hear about that, and we, talk, we hear Jesus talking about that and boldly proclaiming the message of the good news. And then we also hear about persecution, and we hear about how the kingdom does come under attack and how there is an enemy. So I think both of them are kind of correct in some sense. But, but today I want to kind of um, talk to you about a, a translation that kind of Adrian pointed me towards and I think it's actually really accurate and really interesting. Um, and again, just kind of another, another take on this. Um, so it's kind of this thought that Jesus is perhaps hinting to this passage in Micah 2, which is, um, which is yeah, if you're taking notes, write that down, Micah 2 verse 13. Um, but this whole passage in, in Matthew is all about um, John the Baptist. It's about John the Baptist is in prison and he's kind of asking Jesus, are you the Messiah that we've been waiting for? And Jesus kind of sends him this message back and then, um, he's talking with people about John the Baptist and kind of like praising him and saying how he's doing, you know, a great job and he's done the work that he's been set out to do. And so this is kind of in the middle of that, um, about John the Baptist who was sent to prepare the way and about how Jesus has come now and things are kind of shifting. And so in Micah 2 verse 12 to 13, it, it says this, Someday, O Israel, I will gather you. This is God speaking. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together again like sheep in a pen like flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy city, back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. So back in this kind of culture, this shepherd would come to the pen um, in the morning. They'd been locked up all night and, and he kind of removed some stones from this wall that they kind of were penned up in and as he did that he would step through and the sheep would follow and they'd just been kind of waiting to get out of the pen and they would burst through this, this kind of breach in the wall and as they did that the, kind of, the, the few more stones fell apart and they would, they would exit this gate as they would just kind of flood through this, this hole in the wall and they would go out into the pasture and be with the shepherd and it's, it's interesting because this is kind of what it seems like possibly Jesus is talking about, he's referring to John the Baptist. John the Baptist has kind of made this breach in the wall that, that people have been bound up by this kind of culture. People have been bound up by this kind of lifestyle and this way of thinking and, and religion and under Roman kind of persecution and under the Jewish kind of law and the, the Pharisees kind of leading and, and filling people with, you know, these ideas of what you're supposed to do. And, and so John the Baptist comes and he prepares the way and he kind of makes this way into freedom, into this new way of living. And Jesus comes and, and people start bursting through this kind of breach in the wall. People kind of start flooding into this life of, of freedom with Jesus. It's kind of breaking out, this kind of bursting into new life. And I think it's kind of interesting. And I think it's, it's really interesting take on this whole thought of this violent 
kind of faith, this violent act, this, this act of being penned up and, and moving to the pasture, this act of being bound and then, and then set free isn't necessarily kind of always this smooth kind of gentle transition. Often it's kind of this violent kind of forceful kind of fierce wild act of just like breaking free and into this new life with Jesus. And so this morning when we're talking about violent, that's the kind of violent we're talking about. The the, the word violent kind of means this intent to hurt or this intent to cause harm or kind of this me wanting to pummel my brother. Um, but, But it also kind of means there's other adjectives that kind of go with it, meaning rough, aggressive, fierce, wild, and I think that's kind of the the violence that Jesus is talking about here. This kind of fierce, wild faith that we're called to have. This kind of, this this force that kind of advances the kingdom of God. So when we're talking about violence here, Jesus isn't encouraging us to get people into a headlock and kind of, you know, hold them and give them a noogie until they say the sinner's prayer or something like that. Just repent, come on. But um, I think he's more talking about this kind of, this action of this, this violent faith. And as we look through the Bible, we see a lot of people that had this kind of violent faith. It wasn't necessarily wrong attitudes or a violent attitude. It wasn't necessarily by force, but it was this kind of like this steadfastness. It's kind of like this, this radical kind of life that kind of stood out. And, and even as, as people like, I think of um, Daniel and, and, the, and his men when they were kind of taken in captivity and, um, by Babylon and they were asked to do certain things. They were asked to bow down to the king and they said, Listen, like, we can't do that. It was kind of this violent act of faith. It wasn't necessarily they were rude. They weren't like, you know, we're going we're gonna to stand up. And they made a lot of noise. It was actually quite polite. It was actually quite friendly. It was quite, um, yeah, genuine in the way that they approached it. But it was still quite this violent act of like, we're not going to do that. This is who God is. And this is who we are. This kind of violent faith. I believe Jesus is, Jesus is challenging us to have this, this violent faith, not this violent force, not this violent speech towards other people, not this violent emotion towards other people, but this violent faith that says we're going to follow you, God, no matter what. Faith that is zealous, faith that pushes forward, faith that is eager, this forcefulness, this, this desperation, this, this, this hunger after God, this bursting through the wall into what He has for us. Does that make sense? Good, that's good, because I did a lot of research on that. So, whew. So today I have three questions I kind of want to ask, um, kind of ask you guys. And these are three questions I was asking myself. But number one is, what are the, the pens in your life? What are, the, what are the things holding you back in your life? What are the things that are kind of stopping you from experiencing freedom? Because I think this passage isn't necessarily just talking about freedom and, and finding salvation. I think it is that. But I think also there are things in our life that even though we, we know Jesus, there are still things in our life that hold us back from experiencing freedom. Things that want to continue to keep us bound and pull us back into this kind of pen, this lifestyle, this kind of way of living. And I think kind of exiting this pen, exiting this, this kind of security is, is often quite scary you're heading into this pasture in some sense, this, this new life, this freedom where it's kind of the wilderness. It's like anything can kind of happen. It's not safe and secure and you, you know the four corners of what's happening, but you're entering into this life where almost anything can happen and it's, it's scary, it's unknown. It's not like there's just this certain way of doing it. It's like there's this whole new kind of way of living and, and life like that is kind of often scary and we don't want to have to leave the comfort of our pen, the things that we're used to, the things that we've grown comfortable in. But Jesus challenges us that if we stick close to the shepherd, if we stick close to the king, that he's going to be the one that guides us and protects us. 
And that's how we're supposed to live in freedom. Freedom isn't locked up in this pen and, and being safe and secure. Freedom is, is out in the wilderness with the shepherd who protects us and leads us and guides us. Now, I want to show you a little clip. Some of you may have seen it before. It's pretty old. Um, kind of a clip from Francis Chan. But I find it really challenging every time I watch it. Our young people have seen it probably a couple of times. But it's just a really kind of fits in well with this message this morning. So I thought you'd appreciate it. So if we just want to put, put that on the screen. This is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what, I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just... I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life and then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so you want to die like this, just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it and then suddenly you wake up you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes, What is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. 
You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. It's good, hey? Challenging. I find that pretty challenging and crazy coming from someone like him who's had that life up to 16 years old. Like, that's just insane. And to see kind of him in this place now, you think, wow, like if someone like that can experience freedom, someone like that can experience life, and someone like that still has the courage to live a life radically for God, you know, what's stopping me? My life was not that hard up to 16, that's for sure. So what are the pens in your life? What are those things that we are on this balance beam and you, you don't want to fall? You want to stay kind of comfortable? What are those things that are holding you back? What are those things that, that are keeping you in this, this place that God actually doesn't want you to live? God wants us to, to step into this freedom. God wants us to step into this life with Him. And it is scary and it is uncomfortable. and You can fall and you, you will make mistakes and it's not going to be pleasant the whole time. But, but, but there's something more. One of the things that I find is um, often one of the, the, the things that holds me back is having a fat savings account, you know, having a lot in my bank account. And I've known that the times when I've had that, I've kind of relaxed a bit more. And the times that it's been getting pretty tight, it's like I'm stressing out and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, God's really taught me in the last couple of years, as we haven't had much, is just how to, how to trust Him in that. To be like, you know what? My security does not rely on how much I have in my account. I mean, it feels like it should be. That's kind of like our safety net. And, I don't, and that's like the wisest thing that we can kind of do in human terms is put as much as we can in there. So if something happens, we have this safety net. We have this fallback to kind of get us out of trouble. And I was realizing that that was my, my safety net. That was my rescue plan. But Jesus, Jesus wants to be our rescue plan. Jesus wants to be our safety net. And I'm not saying don't save up. In fact, it's very good to have a fat savings account. And if you have any advice on how to do that, I would be... Love to hear it. But, um, but that shouldn't be our security. That shouldn't be the thing that keeps us safe. And sometimes those kinds of things are what hold us back from experiencing freedom because we're so afraid of kind of letting that go. We're so afraid of something changing. We're so afraid of something getting out of our control that we're not willing to, to budge on that. None of us naturally want things to be hard or uncomfortable, do we? We, we naturally default to comfortable. It makes sense. And I think this is something that we have to be very intentional about as Christians, that we have to be careful that we're not just defaulting back to comfortable again. Another thing I think that's kept me bound up is religion. I think it's easy for me to kind of default back to my, my Christian walk being all about religion and not about relationship with Jesus. Because it's actually easier to follow a bunch of rules. It's easier to follow a bunch of tasks. It's easier to check off a bunch of things and feel good about myself because I've done this for God. It's easy for me to feel like, you know, I want to I wanna show God that I love Him by doing this stuff. Or I want to, you know, I, I'm doing all of these things because I want God to love me or I want Him to be proud of me or all of this stuff. It's easy to kind of go back to that. But that's never what Jesus wanted. I read a verse like last week, I think, on Galatians 5 that I've been thinking about for a while. It's just this... Verse that says, that, and Christ has set you free. And then it says, and now make sure that you stay free and don't get bound up again by the law. 
I think so often I can do this. It's not I'm being bound up by sin. I'm not being bound up by, by comfort even necessarily. I'm, I'm being bound up again by this law that I've actually been set free from. I'm actually, it's like you're kind of this sheep that's been set free in this pasture and then you go out and you find some rocks and you make a nice little paddock and you, pasture and pen and you sit back in it again. You're like, this is nice and safe again. And that's not what Jesus wanted. He's like, no, you're meant to be free. You're meant to be doing life with me. That, that life with Jesus isn't about what we do for him. It's not about this task list, but life with him is, is about relationship. It's about learning how to do this with him. And that's hard and that's, that's scary because we like familiarity. We like formulas. We like knowing outcomes. Ultimately, I think we just love having the control in our hands. But, but relationship with Jesus is actually vulnerability. It's actually discernment. It's, it's listening. It's learning. It's kind of, there's a lot of variables that could change. And, and, and someone else's walk with Jesus isn't just going to work for me. And so religion doesn't work because, because I, I want it just to be this cut and dry formula that I can apply to my life and I can give it to someone else and they can apply it to their life and everyone will be sweet. But re- relationship with Jesus is, it, it changes. We all have this, this individual relationship that we have to work out with Him. And there are things in the Bible that, that don't change. There are things in the Bible that are, unfaltering there are things in the bible that tell us how the way that we should live but in terms of your relationship and finding life with jesus that's going to kind of be something that you're going to have to work out with him for yourself and no one else can teach you that no one else can can do that for you but we tend to default back to this thing of like i just want someone to tell me how to do it and, and i'll just do that it's easier we don't want to have to put the effort into this relationship i know this is this is me what are the other things that kind of keep you penned up. I wrote down a list of things that I think have penned me up in some stage in my life. Fear, comparison, bitterness, resentment, guilt, shame, addiction, lust, unforgiveness, financial pressure, greed, selfishness, jealousy. I don't know if any of those things ring a bell with you, but those are things that I know have kept me bound up at some stage in my life. And God's had to work with me to be set free from those things. What's keeping you penned up? What does God want to set you free from? What are the walls around your life? Because Jesus has made a breach in that wall. There actually is a way to experience freedom. I think some of us have been penned up for so long that we forget what like, life with Jesus is supposed to look like. We've just gotten used to it. You guys know the story, like the elephant who's tied to the pole? Well, I don't know. Half the people are saying yes. What about the, the fleas in the box? You guys know that one? Okay, I'll tell the elephant one then. <laughs> so the elephant grows up, and as a baby, he's tied to this kind of big, fat metal stake in the ground. And so he, he pulls, and he, and he learns to pull against it, and he, and he tries all he can, but he can never get away from this rope, this chain around his leg. And so as he grows older, all they actually have to do because he's learned and he stopped trying is they just have to tie just a simple rope around him with just a wooden peg in the ground. And as soon as he feels a bit of tension, he just kind of stands there because like, I can't get out of this. And I think for so long, so many of us have been penned up by the same thing and we think that there's no way out because we've tried before. But there actually is freedom to experience. There actually is a way that Jesus has made. God wants you to know that there is more, more than you've ever experienced. There's greener pastures than you've ever seen. There's, there's more peace than you've ever experienced in your life. There's more joy to be had. 
There's an adventure to live with him and he wants to, to take you into that season of more. And often we just keep defaulting back to this pen and this pasture, uh, away from the pasture and away from the shepherd. So what are those pens in your life? Hopefully you could think of some. Number, question number two is how badly do you want freedom? How badly do you actually want it? I remember as a kid, there were often times when I'd be playing inside and um, didn't really feel like playing outside, and so I'd get up to mischief, and eventually my dad probably got sick of me being inside, and he'd be like, go play outside. And I'm like, no, I don't want to, it's too hot outside, or I don't want to, it's boring outside, there's nothing to do. You know, you have all the excuses, I'm sure you guys have heard those or said those before. But I remember he would always say this thing, which used to annoy me so much. He would say, I bet you if there was a million dollars outside, you'd go find it. And I was like, of course I would, I'd go find a million, there's not a million dollars, you know. And <laughs> I'd be frustrated when he said that, or maybe your parents have said, you know, I bet you if I gave you a million dollars, you would eat your vegetables. Or if I gave you a million dollars, you would do your chores. And you're like, of course I would, but there's not a million dollars to be had here. And it's a frustrating kind of saying, but as frustrating as it was, I was thinking about it, it's because it was true. It's because if I actually saw value in that thing, if I, if I actually wanted it bad enough, I would do it. But I don't want it bad enough. And often my dad was right. He knew that the thing that was best for me was to go outside and play because I just needed to expend some energy. And often I would go outside and play and then I wouldn't come back in until it was dark. And I was like, I don't know why it took me so long to get out there. But it's just funny. We often don't see the value in the very thing that we need. We actually don't always see what's best for us and we don't think it's worth it. I think there are some people here that definitely want freedom, that you're like hungry for it, you're, you're desperate for it, you, you need to experience freedom. But I think there are some of us here, and this is talking to myself, this is where I find myself, is often we, we don't actually necessarily want to try that hard for freedom. We know what's keeping us bound a little bit, but we've gotten used to it, or we don't really see the value in trying to get there. Some people are just dying to burst out of their pen and they're ready to go, but other of us, others of us are just like, I know there's a way, but I'm just like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to this thing now and it doesn't really bother me that much or whatever it is. Do you want to be free from your pen? What are you willing to do to be free? I think so often we pray once. We pray maybe twice about something and, and then that's it. We're like, we didn't see anything happen, so that's, that's it. I think God often challenges us to this persistent prayer. Like, if you want it bad enough, you're going to keep praying, you're going to keep surrendering that thing to God, and your heart is actually going to begin to change. That It's not just about what you're saying, and it's not just about saying it a hundred times so God hears it just one time. It's actually about your heart changing. As you continue to persist in prayer, that your heart's actually becoming more and more hungry for the things of God, that you're actually putting your life in this area where you're actually growing in your faith, and expectation to see what God wants to do. That sometimes persisting in prayer isn't about God hearing what we have to say and pestering Him until He finally answers. Persisting in prayer is often what's best for us. It's this challenge, it's this struggle, it's this wrestle, and God's saying, how bad do you want this? There's a lot of people in the Bible who were desperate for a miracle and they got one. You know, I think of the, the woman with the issue of bleeding. You know, she had this issue where no one could fix it, that she'd been suffering with this for a long, long time. And she hears about this guy called Jesus. And she's like, man, this, this, is, this is my answer. So she goes and she pushes through the crowds that are surrounding Jesus and she manages to touch him. She touches just the hem of his cloak and instantly she's healed. 
It's crazy. And Jesus then turns to his disciples and he's like, who touched me? And they're like, are you serious, Jesus? There's like a thousand people here right now. And he's like, no, I just felt the power leave my body. Someone's just like taking a miracle from me. And, and this lady steps forward and she says, that was me. And Jesus blesses her and he loves on her and he shows her that he cares. But this woman, she's like, it's super cool. She's kind of like Ocean's Eleven just sneaks in and just takes away this, this miracle from Jesus without him even being ready for it. And it's because she wanted it badly. She saw the way, she saw the breach in the wall and she went for it. And she got that miracle. That's violent faith. What about blind Bartimaeus, this guy on the side of the road? And he hears that Jesus is coming. He's, again, he's heard about this guy and he thinks, this is it. This is the way that I'm going to be set free. And so he calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone around him is just like, shut up, Bartimaeus. And he says, the Bible says that he cried all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus turns and he hears him. He says, what do you want? He says, I want to, I want to see. And he gets healed. He gets his miracle. He didn't listen to those around him who were saying, just shut up, this isn't for you. But, but he pushed through because he knew what he needed. He knew what he wanted. He wanted it bad enough that he was willing to be humiliated in front of other people in order to get the miracle he wanted to see. What about the Roman centurion who came with his, uh, he had a young servant who was sick and he said, Jesus, like, you're the one that can heal her. And Jesus says, okay, well, let's go heal her. And he says, no, no, you don't need to come back with me. Like, you're powerful enough that you could just say it now and it's going to happen. And Jesus says he, was, it was, says he was astonished. He was shocked at this guy's faith. And that he says, because of your faith, it's been done. There was violent faith. This guy who's a Roman, he doesn't usually even approach people like Jesus, but he, he, he knew what he wanted to see happen. And he was willing to put it all on the line in order to say, I need a miracle. The man lowered through the roof. You know, they actually literally pull apart somebody's house in order to get this guy in front of Jesus. They're like, there's got to be a way to get him there. What about the, the Canaanite woman who wasn't even supposed to be approaching Jesus? She's from a different kind of culture, from a different lifestyle. But she comes up to Jesus and she says, I need a miracle. And he, and he says, you know, you're not, you're not Jewish or whatever. I haven't come necessarily for you specifically. And she says, yeah, but even like the dogs get scraps from the table. She kept pushing and Jesus was like astonished at her faith. And she got the miracle she was after. These people were all desperate and hungry for this, this act, for this experience that they needed, this freedom that they wanted from Jesus. And all of them got what they came for. So I challenge you this morning, what, what, do you, what do you want to see happen? And do you want it bad enough that you're willing to put it all on the line? That you're willing to have violent faith where you're just like, I don't care what people say about me. I don't care what people think about me. I don't care what the the, the normal thing to do is I don't care what I'm supposed to do. I want this bad enough that I'm just going to come hungry to Jesus and, and I, I need to experience freedom. That's violent faith. These guys had seen a breach in the wall. They realized that Jesus was their only hope and they came bursting through in order to see it happen. And I think sometimes we kind of come up to that wall and instead of bursting through the wall with the other sheep and knocking stones out of the way, this kind of bold, kind of crazy action, we kind of just like nudge up against them. We're like, oh, yeah, maybe. And think about stepping through that wall. How bad do you want it? God wants all of us to want all of Him. So what are the pens in your life? How badly do you want freedom? And number three, the final point, or question, I should say, is what's the next practical step 
towards breaking out of that? What's the next step in order for you to experience freedom? What does it look like for you? This might seem like an obvious question, but so often it's the question that we miss. You know, we come on a Sunday and we hear a message and we think that's really good, that's challenging, like I need to think about that more. But often we don't actually think about, okay, what's this going to look like? Where does the rubber hit the road? What's, how is this actually going to play out in my life? We know we want to see freedom. We know we want it. But then what are we actually going to do in order to see it? What steps are we going to take? The woman with the issue of bleeding, she realized, she made this decision, I just need to touch Jesus. She realized what that, 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 this, that thing was in order to get her miracle, and she, she, went, she ran for it. The guy that was lowered through the roof, I just need to get in front of Jesus. What's that next practical step in order for you to experience that freedom? Because I, I don't want us just to be another Sunday where we, we come and we gather and we have some challenging thoughts, some encouraging thoughts, and... All of that's really good, but I want us to actually see this as a, as a day, as an opportunity where our lives can actually continue to be transformed by the love of Jesus. And that, that sometimes is up to us, how much we want to, how, 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 how are we going to step out practically and actually see these things happen? Maybe it's choosing to persist in prayer for something specific. Maybe it's breaking habits. Maybe it's a physical change in your life. Maybe it's a, ch a change in choices that you make. I'm not sure what that thing is, but what's that look like? And what's the next step towards that? It might not be the only answer, but what's the next step? You don't have to know the whole thing of how you're going to get there, but what's, what's the next thing that you can do in order to see this happen? So instead of continuing to talk about this, I thought it would actually be better if maybe we could talk about it with each other a little bit. So if you feel comfortable, you don't have to do this. But if you feel comfortable, I encourage you to share kind of what maybe something is holding you back. I think we've all got something. What's kind of holding you back from experiencing greater freedom with Him, from greater life with Jesus? And if you're willing to share that, I encourage you to. And then what's the next kind of practical step that you could take? And maybe the good thing about sharing with someone is often I've had people in my life who I've shared stuff with and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And they often have a good suggestion that I wouldn't have thought of. Maybe they've even been there before and they're like, hey, this is what I did and it worked for me. I don't know if you want to try that. So we're just going to do that for like two minutes. And, and I encourage you just to ask someone about it or just see how they're going. But, and if someone doesn't want to share, you don't have to share. I don't want it just to be a forced kind of bonding session. But that this would just be a time where you can reflect and actually think about it. If you just want to sit there and think about it by yourself, that's totally fine too. So we're just going to do that for a couple minutes and then we're going to come back and take communion together and, and enjoy just celebrating Jesus' life. So um, I remember one of the first times I heard about this verse, actually, was um, I was reading this book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. And I'm sure some of you guys have heard of that book, but at the time when I read it, it was actually just totally God's timing and it, and it, it shifted my life in the way that I actually saw what Christianity it's supposed to be because he asked this question in the book, like, what do you see as, as a good Christian man? And I remember I thought about like, you know, he's, he comes to church, he's got a decent sized family, you know, he, he gives a bunch in the offering and he smells nice and he's got nice hair and he's kind of well presented and he's, he's nice to people and he's friendly and he's polite. And that's kind of what I thought a good Christian guy is supposed to look like. And, I, and he talks about this verse in the book about how the, that God's looking for people who are willing to, to, to violently push and advance the kingdom of God. 
people that are, that, are will, that are wanting to be wild, people that are, you know, people of courage, men and women of, of faith who are willing to step into something greater. And I realize that, that God's actually not looking for more people who are on their best behavior, that, that being on our best behavior is actually not the greatest aspiration in life, but that God's actually looking for men and women who are willing to, to trust Him and to have this radical faith where they, they advance the kingdom of God relentlessly and fearlessly. That God was actually needing men to rise up who are, who, are, who are brave, who don't do things the way that they've always been done, who are, who are wild at heart, who are actually ready for this adventure with Him, who are, who are maybe a little bit crazy, maybe a little bit dangerous. And when I read that, it was like so much freedom for me because I was thinking that these kind of feelings of wanting to be free and wild and a dangerous man was kind of all this, that stuff that I got to get rid of. I, I shouldn't listen to that. But realizing that God's actually looking for men like that and for women like that was so freeing for me. And so I just want to give you permission this morning that, that you actually have permission to be wild. You actually have permission to be free. That you actually have permission to be courageous. You actually have permission to go boldly into this world and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God doesn't need you just to be on your best behavior. God wants you to go and do things the way they've never been done before. So I just want to pray and then we're going to take some communion and I want, want us just to reflect and just to be with Jesus and just draw near to the shepherd, draw near to the king this morning. See what he has to say to you. He's our protector. He's our, he's our guide. He's our leader. And he loves you so much and he's done so much to be with you, to see you step into this life of freedom with him. So Jesus, we thank you. I thank you for freedom, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't come, that we would have a safe and cushy life, Lord God, but you came that, that we may experience life to the full. Lord, that life with you is an adventure and it's dangerous and it's scary and it's, and it's wild and it's, it's unknown, Lord God, but you've called us into this life and I pray that we would be people that stick close to you as our shepherd. We would be people that stick close to our King, who draw near to you, Father, and we find our courage, we find our security, we find our strength, we find everything we need in you, Lord God. Father, would you help us not just to, to take these words and think about them, God, but I pray that each and every one of us would be, would be putting this into action this week in some way, that we would be living lives that are continuing to be changed for your glory, for your kingdom, because of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So communion's at the back and at the sides. If you want to take that in your own time, we're going to worship again and I don't know, I thought that song this morning was pretty on topic with, with Glorious Day. You know, breaking out of that grave and stepping into this new glorious day with Jesus. So let's worship this morning. Let's enjoy fellowship with each other. And um, yeah, hope you guys have a great day.